like to speak to you in a two-part series here on Jesus Gives Living Water. Jesus Gives Living Water. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, to John's Gospel, as we continue to work our way through this wonderful book, John chapter 4. Before we read the text, let me give you a little preview here in John chapter 4. We will see within this chapter that our Lord Jesus Christ ministering to a variety of people. First, He ministers to a sinful Samaritan woman. We will see also that He's teaching His, his own disciples many great important lessons. And then He also will minister to many Samaritans who, can, who come to trust Him. And finally, at the end of this chapter, a nobleman and his household. Our Lord Jesus has a very important lesson to teach each one of us. Yet there's something that each one of that these people have in common in which we will be looking at, and it's something very, very important for us to learn. It's that one significant, all-important point that the Scriptures continue to repeat over and over to us. And that is, each one of these people had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had faith. Faith. So once again, the Apostle John was here fulfilling the purpose of his gospel and showing us how various kinds of different classes of people came to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. So this is actually the theme we see throughout the gospel of John. It is faith in Christ. It is faith in the Son of the living God which is accompanied by salvation. That's what brings salvation is faith in Christ. Christ is that salvation, but we must have faith to believe. And this is why Jesus came, is to bring salvation. He brings it to us. It's come down from heaven to us. So from verse 1 to verse 26, we first see how Jesus offered the Samaritan woman, living water, living water, which is the gift of God. That gift of God is Jesus Christ Himself, which is eternal life. This is eternal life, or life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. That's what He prayed in John chapter 17. So, um, there's some very important lessons for us to, to learn here. And um, the Samaritan woman shows an intriguing interest. We will see this. However, there were some matters that she had to straighten out before she could ever have living water. And the Lord comes by divine appointment to her, to Jacob's well. 
what was those matters that she has to deal with? Well, first of all, she had to deal with the matter of her personal sin. Her personal sin. A lot of times that's left out. Many preachers seem to overlook that. But here you see that she had to come to repentance. But first she had to see that she was a sinner. God, God knows this and Jesus knows this and the Lord deals with her very graciously. Very graciously. And such wisdom. Also, there's the matter of worship. Worship. We will see today why this matter of worship is uh, brought up. Also, the matter of Him being the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. And we will also see of her laboring for God. But therefore, Jesus began to discuss these subjects with her on a very one practical level, I should say, one by one. Don't you like, love how our Lord deals with people, just not in the masses, but personal, very personal. It reaches us, doesn't it? We deal with people on a personal basis. So this speaks much to us today. And our Lord Jesus Christ in His perfect wisdom graciously uh, leads her to the truth and eventually in believing in Him. And we will see this. And Jesus has an important lesson to teach us as well. And we will see the Master in this series as the Master Soul Winner. He is the Master Soul Winner. If anyone uh, teaches us about soul winning, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the greatest example. Now the Apostle Paul was a, uh, in, a tremendous soul winner. Uh, we will look a little bit today at, at a verse uh, Verses from Corinthians um, about what how he was winsome and winning people to Christ, but Jesus Christ is the greatest soul winner, no doubt about it. Now, we also see the master soul winner at his very best, and in chapter three, as we saw, we saw how Jesus taught a religious Pharisee, Nicodemus, about the new birth. And now here in chapter 4, we see how Jesus teaches the Samaritan woman about living water. So in saying that, uh, let me read the text in John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 to 26. Verse 1 to 26. Hear the word of the living God. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, speaking of John the Baptist, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than the father, than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that, the, that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Praise God. May God bless the reading of His Word from our ears to our hearts this morning. Please bow with me in prayer. <clears throat> Our Father and our God, as we look to You this morning, we praise You. We glorify You, O Lord, and we thank You for Your Word, for Thy Word is truth. Now, Lord, take that Word from our ears to our hearts by Your blessed Holy Spirit. There's so, so many wonderful lessons that this text contains. We thank You, Father, for Your great love and Your grace that has come to us through Jesus Christ, Your Son, Your beloved Son. May we hear Him. 
Oh, Father, only Your Holy Spirit can help us truly perceive and to hear. We cannot do this within our own power. But Lord, we need Thy power. And we thank You, Father, that there is no one, no one, Lord, that is beyond the reach of Your great love. And we thank You that the salvation that has come to all, knowing that all will not believe, but it is available to all. And that the ones that you have appointed to eternal life will believe and hear and receive the truth of this glorious gospel. Father, we thank you for the reason that the Lord has come on a mission to seek and save the lost. Thank you for the great mercy that you show through him. Lord, we thank You for Your blessed Holy Spirit that opens up blind eyes, unstops deaf ears, gives new hearts through the new birth. Father, as the wonderful hymn says it, more and more about Jesus, more and more about Jesus. Let me learn more of His holy will to discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. We pray this now, Father, for each and every one of us within this hour of worship to the praise of the glory of Your grace and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This particular section, from verse 1 to verse 26, is no doubt one of the most profound revelations that is given about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. He is the living water. He is the living water. And the water which men and women can drink thereby that never thirst, that they would never thirst again. Only Jesus can satisfy a parched soul. Think about the millions and millions of people in this world today that are seeking satisfaction in all things, whether it be Things on this earth that will pass away or through drugs to give people a high to make them feel better and, or through sexual relations that's outside of God's covenant. So many idols that people have and so many other things that people seek after to try to satisfy their parsed soul. But yet, there is only one that truly satisfies the soul and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. None other. And we see the story here of this wonderful, wonderful Savior that meets a sinner. The Savior meets the sinner at Jacob's well. Now, up front here with you, I like to say there's much here in this chapter, so we're breaking this up into several parts. This particular section here, I'd like to break it up in two parts if I can, by God's help, get all this packed in because there's so much here. We're going to basically just today look at the uh, overview of the background that Jesus leaves Judea from verse 1 to verse 9. There's a lot here in nine verses. 
Second, third, and fourth, these other outlines, uh, I'd like to give it to you anyway. We'll be looking at God willing later on. Next Lord's Day, we'll have a guest speaker, uh, basically a missionary speaker. But um, we're going to look at these other points later on. Second point, I'd like to say we'll be seeing the living water that, that is alive. Living water is living. In verse 10. Then third, we will see living water is from a person, that is the person of Jesus Christ, that is much greater than any religious system. Verse 11 and 12. And then fourth, we will see living water is the only water that will satisfy and quench our thirst. That is found in verse 13 and 14. So, in that section from those parts, I will be looking at that in two parts, and then we'll be breaking it up a little bit more. Like I said, there's a lot here. Um, my wife posted something about, um, uh, you know, how the groundhog, uh, if he sees a shadow, will have an early spring. So she humorously put, well, if the pastor sees his shadow, um, or does not see his shadow, but sees his shadow, right? We'll have an extra session of series of sermons. And I'm sure that got people's attention on uh, Facebook. So I thought, yeah, that uh, did I see my shadow? I'm not going to say. So anyway, <laughs> so we'll be seeing a, a, a lot of this from the text this morning. Well, let's begin with the, uh, the background, the background that Jesus leaves Judea. There's a lot here, folks. And, and, and let me say this, in this this overview and this introduction, don't think it's just facts and something that is boring in a sense. These facts will help you and I to understand everything that Jesus leads up to is what is said about the Samaritans, uh, about the reason why Jesus, what led Jesus up to Sychar, Sychar, I, I guess you could say, um, there providentially, and uh, that all that is being said today will give us a tremendous amount of discernment in, in the text, from the text that understands why it's going in that direction, okay? So, um, go with me with this and let's, let's learn together, amen? Look at verse 1 and 2. The Scripture says, Therefore, therefore... Remember, therefore is always there for a reason, right? When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Now, first of all, let's look at two significant facts here that's very important. First of all, Jesus left Judea out of necessity. Out of necessity. This is very important because he, he left for John the Baptist's sake, actually. Let's, let me explain the reasons why. There was crowds, as we saw in chapter 3, that was leaving John, coming to Jesus, they were flocking to Jesus, and the religiousness, the, the relig religious crowds, the Pharisees, were using the fact to downgrade John the Baptist's ministry. 
Okay, and this is what they were doing. We see this in the previous chapter in chapter 3 as we looked at in verse 22 to 26. Go back with me a little bit and let's refresh our memory. I think this is very important because it brings us into chapter 4 and was how it begins. So in verse 22 to 26, it says, After these things Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea, and there He remained with them and baptized. And now John also was baptizing in Enon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So we see that a dispute came about. Now Jesus did not want to create, by no means, uh, a competitive a competitive sense of demeaning and damaging John's ministry. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is not in it for any competitive sake, even though He is the Master, right? But He humbles Himself, and He shows great humility. And He's concerned also about John's ministry as well, and He knows that there's something that's stirring up uh, about the jealousy and the dispute that's going on and, and so forth. We looked at that in John chapter 3 in the previous messages. So, therefore, he left the area here to, and returned to Galilee. Therefore, that's where, how John chapter 4 begins. Therefore. So when the Lord knew, the Lord knew this. He left Judea. Jesus knew that because of his rising prominence, the popularity, there would soon be a confrontation with the religious establishment among whom were the Pharisees. Yet Jesus knew that the time was not yet right for the confrontation in Jerusalem. That later on comes. But at this time, it was not the right time. Isn't it amazing as you go through the Gospels, everything, every step that our Lord takes is in total perfection, I should say, and providence to the sovereign plan of God. All the way to the cross. All the way to Calvary. Now perhaps the Pharisees had attempted to use the fact of John the Baptist's popularity as he was declining, his ministry was declining to stir up the jealousy, we saw that, and contention between the disciples of John and those of the Lord's. Now look at in chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And verse 4 says, but he needed to go through Samaria. He left Judea. MacArthur says right here in his notes, John the Baptist and Jesus had official scrutiny focused on them because of the distinctive message regarding repentance and the kingdom. And he says this, Most likely Jesus wanted to avoid any possible trouble with John's disciples who were troubled with his growing popularity. And since the Pharisees were also focusing on his growing influence, Jesus decided to leave Judea and travel north in order to avoid the conflict. 
end quote. And that's very well right to the text of what is happening here. So that's actually the very first reason for Jesus leaving Judea. It was out of necessity. The second significant fact that we notice is that Jesus left Judea to confront a Samaritan woman. This is very important because you see, out of the divine necessity, it is divine appointment. It wasn't by happenstance. As so many people say, it this just happened to, 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 to go this way, or it was by luck. There's no such thing as luck in the Christian life, folks. It do, that, that word does not even should exist as a Christian. As James says, we should say the Lord wills, or as in other scriptures, as the Lord permits, as God divinely directs us, He, he appoints. He's, we believe that God is sovereign, but especially here with the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is the sovereign uh, leading of the Holy Spirit within our Lord's life. So verse 3, he says, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Verse 4, But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed. It was appointment. A divine appointment. Several roads lead to, um, I'm sorry, from Judea to Galilee. Several roads. Uh, one near the seacoast is, if you would look on the map, if you'd like to look at your map and ge ge uh, geographically, and there's another through the region of Perea, and one through the heart of Samaria. It's, it's interesting. Now, verse 4 says this, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, right here in, <clears throat> in translations, I like the old King James. Because the old King James says he must needs go through Samaria. It includes the word uh, must. He must needs go through Samaria. I personally like that translation a little better here in the text because of the fact of the word must. That word must means in the, in the original language, it means by necessity, compulsion, destiny. Destiny. In other words, Jesus was driven to go through Samaria out of divine necessity. Divine appointment. Why? Well, that was His mission. It's for the sake of His mission for the Lord came to seek and save the lost. And it was in the divine sovereign providence of God that this Samaritan woman was in view. The Lord knew it. I would like to think of it like this, and it's exactly what it is. Before the world was created, this Samaritan woman was on the Lord's mind. Just like you and me. You think, how can that be? Well, He's the Lord. And He appoints who He chooses to appoint. He has compassion on whom He desires to have compassion on. And He... Uh, he, he does what He pleases. And He had this woman in his, on His mind. So our Lord goes through Samaria. That's the providence of God. Out of divine necessity. Don't you love that? Divine necessity. Not so much that He was compelled to do so by a, a geographical consideration. No. 
but rather that by the fact and the truth that there was a needy soul, one soul, one sheep, that needed the shepherd. And the shepherd goes after the sheep, his own. There was a needy soul in Samaria that he could help and lead to the truth, for he himself is the truth. Now verse 5 says this, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Leon Morris says here that their route, or route, however you want to say it, from Jerusalem to Galilee lay through the region beyond the Jordan. This was considerably longer. Isn't that interesting? It was a longer route. But it avoided contact with the Samaritans. Those who were not so strict went through Samaria. End quote. This is very significant, and I want to tell you why. Because Jesus saw it as a divine necessity to go that way. He went that way. Because again, as I just mentioned, His mission was to seek and save the lost. That was His mission. That's why He came. We must never ever forget that great truth, beloved. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. So He's traveling into Samaria. The Lord Jesus uh, came to this little village called Sychar and this little town is probably identified with modern village of Askar on the shoulder of Mount Ebal, which is opposite of Mount Gerizmin. It's a continuous line of tradition that identifies Jacob's well as lying about, about half a mile south of Askar. One commentator by the name of Alfred says this, Some think that Sychar, which means drunken, was originally a contemptuous, contemptuous, I'd say that right, name applied to the Jews to Shechem. End quote. Verse 6. Simply says, now Jacob's well was there. This is where Jacob's well was there. The city of Sychar was ancient Shechem, ancient Shechem, and which is actually the capital city of the Samaritans. Now let's look very quickly who are the Samaritans. Samaritans are a group of people that intermingled from a mixed race through intermarriage that we would call them today as mixed breed. They're mixed with Assyrian and Jew. Um, eventually, the tension developed between Jews who returned from captivity to Samaritans. Samaritans, which are, again, mixed of Assyrians and Jews, withdraw. They, by the way, they withdrew from worship of Yahweh at Jerusalem and established their worship at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. Now, I read that today. Does that make perfect sense of what verse 20 says? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. 
That's exactly what she says and what she's referring to is the difference between the mountains of worship, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. So we, we, we see that in that section of the text and the Lord Jesus Christ sets her straight about that in verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. I love how the Lord just directs her to really the point of worship. It's not necessarily where you worship. It's who you worship. You worship what you do not know. You do not know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews because the Lord is Jewish. But the hour is coming, our Lord says. And now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I've said this before, but isn't it wonderful that Jesus Christ, the Lord, Savior, gives that great revelation to a prostitute, to a woman that is a mixed breed, a riffraff, a reject. He gives this great revelation to her and not to someone like Nicodemus. Now, he gives Nicodemus basically a rebuke. Say, you should know the things which you teach. Why? Because Nicodemus had greater light. He's supposed to have greater light, but he didn't know. But here's a woman that has very little light. Right? Well, as to go on, it's also something else as I was studying this. I think this is very interesting as well. And I'll share this with you, because as I learn, I like to bring it to you. Interesting to note also that the Samaritans regarded only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as authoritative. Only the Pentateuch. That's it. They didn't go any further than the first five books of the Bible as being authoritative. So they really didn't know much about, like what Brother Keith was reading today, the book of Judges. Joshua, uh, the historical books, the poetic books, the prophetic books. They didn't really know that. So, they, they knew of it, but as authoritative, the Pentateuch was it. That's interesting. So as a result of much of this, the Jews repudiated the Samaritans. They disdained them. And they considered them heretical. Completely heretical. <clears throat> Another quote from MacArthur here. He says, Intense ethnic and cultural tensions raged historically between the two groups so that they both avoided contact as much as possible. End quote. Look at verse 6a. Now Jacob's well was there. What's so important about Jacob's well? There's a lot of great importance. Did you know that in this particular location, that this is where Abram first came when he arrived into Canaan from Babylon? In Genesis 12, 6. Did you know that this is where God first appeared to Abram in Canaan and renewed the promise of giving the land to him and his descendants in Genesis 12, 7? Did you know that this is where Abram built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord in Genesis 12, 8? 
Did you know that this is where Jacob came safely when he returned with his wives and children from his sojourn with Laban in Genesis 33, 18? And again, did, did you know that this is where Jacob bought a piece of land from the Canaanite named Hamar for a hundred pieces of silver in Genesis thirty-three nineteen. It goes on. This is where Jacob also built an altar to the Lord and called it El Elam Israel in Genesis thirty-three twelve twenty. And this is that established the connection between Jacob and what has become known as Jacob's well there in Sychar. And also according to Genesis thirty-four. This is also the place where Diane, the daughter of Jacob, was actually raped. And the sons of Jacob massacred the men of the city in retaliation. This was the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. The land that Jacob conquered from the Amorites with his sword and bow in an unrecorded battle. Isn't that interesting? That you can read that in Genesis 48:22. And also interesting as this is, this is exactly where that the bones of Joseph were eventually buried in this particular area where they carried up his bones from Egypt in Joshua 24:32. This is also where Joshua made a covenant with Israel, renewing their commitment to the God of Israel and proclaiming in Joshua 24, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And now, we come to this section, but he needed to go through Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Yes, that all that which I mentioned is exactly the location of all that history that took place here. And I cannot help but think that the Son of the living God, by divine necessity and appointment, meets this sinful woman that's a prostitute, an outcast and a reject in this location, by divine appointment to reach her soul that we would see her in heaven, that she is God's only elect by the grace of God. Isn't it wonderful how God marks out someone like this? Isn't it wonderful that no one's beyond the grace, the reach of God's grace? Isn't it wonderful we could keep that in mind when we go out there in the highways and byways to compel people to come to Jesus, that this may be one of God's elect? We don't know who God's elect are. That's why the Bible says you preach the gospel to every creature. God doesn't want uh, to leave anyone out to hear the gospel. Jacob's well. It's known as a spring of Jacob. It's beyond no doubt a, that known today, even today by the Samaritans, the Jews, the Christians alike, and even Muslims as the spring and the well of Jacob. And we will see much more about this living water as the series to come, God willing. But right now we see by divine necessity our Lord Jesus Christ comes to this, this plot of ground. 
that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jacob's well was there. And then the next section. He comes. Our Lord comes there. And what do we read? Jesus therefore being wearied from His journey. He's weary from His journey. He sat thus by the well. He's tired. He's weary. As the Son of Man. A lot of times people get the idea and the notion that Jesus is this superman that never got tired. But He got tired, didn't He? He suffered. He had to learn obedience through suffering. Actually, that brings to mind of Hebrews chapter 2. If you go with me to Hebrews chapter 2, we see this. And it gives us some great revelation about Jesus as the Son of Man. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what it says about the Lord here. Verse 10 through 14. For as it was fitting for Him, for whom all things are all all things, by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And then it says, all the way to verse 14, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren, and in the midst of assembly I will sing praise to you. Again, I will put my trust in him. And again, I am I, am I the children. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. And as much as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. He shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those, and through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. But we definitely see here that our Lord shared in the same. And as much as children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Chose to do this. The Word was made flesh. Now, back to the text. It says it was about the sixth hour. Now, in, in calculating the, the time frame there from sunrise to which was about 6 a.m. to this time is about noontime. About 12 p.m. About noontime. And Jesus was weary. Again, as we looked at that wonderful verse that He shared in the same, He became very weary. He was flesh and blood and very real. As a result of being on a long walk, and it was a very long walk, and just had sat down by the well, and that our Lord was both tired and He was thirsty from His journey. He was thirsty. Oh my, how willing He was to give this woman living water. A well within us, within that, the, that, that comes springing up to the everlasting life, which is from regeneration and the power of the Holy Spirit and springing up to everlasting life. And while sitting there on, 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 the, uh, 
events in which Jesus had come by divine necessity to the Samaritan, what happened? He confronted the Samaritan woman with claims of the Messiah, and she came to draw water. She came to draw water. And by the perfect wisdom of the Holy Spirit, Jesus strikes up a conversation in such a simple way. So simple. We make it too hard, don't we? We have all these steps. There's been so many books written about soul winning, and the greatest book you can read is right here, the Bible. This chapter especially, it tells us so much. I mean, there is one nugget after a nugget, another diamond after a diamond to, gl- to glean into of how Jesus Christ was a master soul winner and how he did this. And it still staggers me. In perfect wisdom, but so simple that a child can understand it. And then he, he makes a statement in verse 7 to the, to the woman in Samaria came draw water. And Jesus simply said to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. And that's how the conversation began. And this time in, in which she comes, she, she, she comes, and by the way, noontime was the hottest part of the day. We believe that because the sun is directly right above you. And it's beaming down, especially in the east there. Because, you know, it's open desert in many places. very dry and desolate. And it's just beaming down. So it's very hot. Hottest part of the day. And this woman, keep in mind, again, she's a Samaritan. She's probably got some shame here. And she's a mixed breed. And she's a reject. And she's very immoral. So she wants to kind of hide. So she comes at a time of the day that's more than likely that no one else was coming. And boy, she was in for a surprise. Someone was waiting on her. She may have chosen this time out of a sense of shame because she knew that there would be no um, other women there to see her. Of course, the Lord Jesus knew all this all alone, didn't He? Because He knows all things. Even in His humanity, He yet has all knowledge of all people. And she would be at the well at that time. And He knew that. He was waiting on her. He was waiting on her. The Master was waiting on her. And He knew that she was in a, a great need. He, he knew that her soul was parched. And we need to keep that in mind also as we reach out to other people. The Lord Jesus knows their need. Like He knows your need. My need. He looks and searches the reins of our hearts. You know what the reins means? It means the innermost being. You know, many times we think, if only someone would know what I'm going through. If only someone could know, but Jesus knows. Even your closest companion, husband or wife or friend, your best friend, does not know your innermost being, your your innermost thoughts, do they? But Jesus knows it. And He knew her thoughts. He knew her great need. And He knew that she needed living water. And so, that he, He determined to meet with her in great love and to rescue her Because this is why He came. He came to seek and save. To rescue her from what? Her sinful life. 
her sinful life. Now, in saying all that, I have just a few, a few minutes now for application. And I'm going to stop it right there. I know that I, that's quite a bit of many facts to pack in at the introduction because we're not going to be able to get much further. This is an introduction of all that we're going to be looking at. But let me very quickly... We're going to be looking into some very deep insights into how our Lord Jesus reaches this woman's soul. We'll look at that, God willing, in the near future. But let me give an application, and I'd like to give you one word that would help us in something so simple that I chose this, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself too that we need to remember this one word and it's called winsome winsome I like you could divide it up winsome or winsome so what can we learn from our Lord Jesus in this point up to this point of the passages that we looked at what, of, of his wisdom his practical wisdom that he displays and what can we take away from this lesson in a very practical way? Well, here's the scripture I like to leave with you on application. It's Proverbs 11:30. Proverbs 11:30 is a great verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. That's the first part. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, it's important to get that first part to understand the second part because the first part is noticing the righteous, the fruit. The fruit of the righteous is what? That's our life, our characteristics, our... What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, all that. It's, it's actually, it doesn't say fruits. It says fruit. One fruit. It's who we are. It's, it's the way we behave. It's the way we act and react. It's, it's who we are and our characteristics. So the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then it says this, And he who wins souls is wise. There it is. Wise. Winsome. Matthew Henry says this, he that is wise by communicating his wisdom wins souls. He wins upon them to bring them in love with God and holiness. And so wins them over into the interest of God's kingdom among men. He goes on to say this, by their righteous living, righteous living, Wise people attract, I love that word, attract other people and as a result can turn many souls away from foolishness and towards righteousness. Let me stop right there. There's more to say from Matthew Henry, but I love that word attract because I like what J.C. Ryle said. We should, that is, should be our goal as Christians every day that we live is to make Christ attractive. To show the beauties of Christ through the fruit of the Spirit, through love and patience and faithfulness and kindness and all that. 
Without compromise, though, there's a lot of people nowadays, especially what's going on in the evangelical world today, as everybody has heard about Alistair Begg and this great high, high controversy. And as much as we respect Alistair Begg, and I, I, I've always thanked God for his ministry, but there's been some compromise here, beloved. And because he is thinking of another direction, thinking being overly compassionate and not thinking of the truth of the gospel. Now, that's a whole series because they're, they're, really in Scripture there's no fine line here. There's black and white. It's black and white. There are things that God detests that is an abomination and there are places that we are to go. The Bible even says if sinners entice thee do not consent. The Bible says darkness, what, what companionship does darkness have with light? None. none. So, there, there's the way of holiness and there's the way to hell. But how are we going to reach people that's hell bound? It's through our light. Jesus said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works. Your good works. In other words, the righteous life. Not that we work our way to heaven, but this is the fruit of it. This is the obedience that comes out of our life. So that's another issue. I, I don't want to go there and chase that rabbit, but Matthew Henry continues to say this. Say this. So th those that would win souls have need of wisdom. Do you have need of wisdom today? I sure do. I need wisdom in how to win my lost relatives to Jesus Christ because I don't know exactly how to do that sometimes. I give them the truth and love and they continue to reject it. I don't want to go to heaven alone. I want to see them in heaven. Now, don't, don't you, you definitely, I know you want to definitely see your loved ones in heaven too, but you can't make them repent. You can't bring them, you can't force them into the kingdom, but I tell you what, I know we know someone that can bring them against their, uh, their, their likes of their desires and who can go after them as he went after the, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. He was a terrorist killing Christians. And thought he, he was one of the most religious men on the, men on the face of the earth at that time. And Christ went after him. And changed him. Changed him so much from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. He changed his name. And that means Saul, if you look at the original, Saul means big and Paul means little. He went from big to little. Well, Henry goes on to say, to have need of wisdom, to know how to deal with them, and those that do win souls show that they are wise. End quote. The Apostle James actually says that in James 5.20. I love this verse. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. The Apostle Paul is uh, a perfect example of that. In chapter 9, let me read just a few verses from chapter 9 real quick. Verse 19 to 22, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Notice what he's got in mind there? Win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, and that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, and that I might win those who are under the law. 
to those who are without the law is without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, and that I might win the weak, and I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, win some, right? And now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. And, and by the way, no compromise with the Apostle Paul there. None. But yet, he went into, into situations and did everything he could possibly to meet that sinner as Jesus did. Without compromise. Without compromise. Paul lived in such a way of showing and demonstrating the beauties of Jesus Christ, in other words, that would attract others to Christ. He sought to find common ground. Can I say it again? I can't say it too much. Without compromise. With anyone and everyone in hopes of winning their souls to God's kingdom. So no one can deny the wisdom there, which comes... By the way, how does wisdom come? By the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of God. Just read Proverbs. It's all the way through. So if we desire to be one who wins souls, and I know you do here, we would want to be wise, winsome. We would follow our Lord Jesus' examples and Paul's as well. The fruit of the righteous, the fruit of one that is consistently righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise captures. That's another translation. He captures the soul, the souls, until there's a harvest. We'll look at this later on, but you even see the harvest there. Jesus mentions this in verse 34. Jesus said to the disciples, they were concerned about, haven't you eaten anything? Bring bring." him something to eat they, they were concerned about him and he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work that was his food do, no, do you not do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest behold I say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest they're ready and ripening and he's referring to the Samaritan woman. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both, both he who sows and, and who reaps may rejoice together. So you could go to what, and in Corinthians, Paul says, one sows, another reaps. God gets the increase. For in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. That's the way it works in agriculture, it is, isn't it? And I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. That's the beauty about missionaries. You know, there's, everybody works together. It's not a one man or a one woman thing. If it was, it would be like, oh, look at me. Look what I've done. Kind of like uh, Diotrephes complex, right? Wanting to have the 
preeminence. No, it's God who is to be exalted. He is the one that brings souls in the kingdom. We're just basically channels and instruments to be used for God's honor and glory. So please keep that in mind. Let's be winsome. Amen? Let's win some. Let's be ever concerned, whether it's at our home, out and about in the highways and byways. I praise God for each and every one here that has a burden for souls. And I know each and every one of you want to see others come into the kingdom. It's such a serious matter, isn't it? It's such a serious matter. It, it's, it's just not a matter of life and death. We're talking about a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And Scripture does say that if we don't warn them, blood will be on our hands. We should be doing the Master's business and going about in the highways and the hedges and compelling them. And isn't it interesting? It doesn't say compel them to come to church even though I believe there's nothing wrong with inviting people to come to church, that's fine. But actually, when we speak to people about their souls, what do we compel them to? To Jesus. Repent and believe. Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is nigh. It's near. In other words, it's, it's here among you. And while you're drawing breath, you're drawing you're drawing in, sucking up mercy, as one Puritan says, and here's your time. You could die tonight. People do not realize they can die instantly. Go to the graves. There's all different ages at the graves, from infancy to older age, all in between. So it's a, it's a very serious matter, isn't it? And it's a matter of eternity. Oh God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. As Luther said, I'm determined to live by a two-day calendar. Today and Judgment Day. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for this time together to worship You, to adore You. And Lord, now we call upon You to help us, oh God as we will all depart, whether it be to our homes, whether it be to the, the city, whether it be to our work, whether it be to our families, as we depart, Lord, we enter here to worship You and to learn of You and to learn Your Word and what You have to say about eternity, time and eternity. But Lord, we, we desire to serve You more and to be faithful, Lord to be winsome, to be winsome and winning souls to others, to, to others, for the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven, commanding, as you have commanded all men to repent and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because, Lord, there is going to come a day that time will cease and the ark of the door will be closed and judgment will come and it will be all over. Help us, Lord, to see that we are born for such a time as this. As Esther said, 
Give us heavenly wisdom, Lord, in Your love, in Your grace, that we may call and commend all people to the truth of the Gospel. Help us, O God, I pray, that we would all be light and salt, light in a dark, dark world, to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and salt to preserve and to season with grace, Lord, that we may be gracious and speak the truth in love, O God. Help us to be so much like Christ that people would not see us, but they would see Jesus. And for this, I pray for Your honor and glory. In Jesus' name and for His sake, amen and amen.